word this morning. Uh, we are again in Acts chapter 4. We're picking things up in verse 23 this morning. And Lord willing, we'll get down through the end of the chapter. And last week, we started into Acts chapter 4. And we saw that Peter and John had been arrested for, you know, at that earlier that day, uh, the Lord giving them the gift of faith to uh, pray for the man that had been uh, lame by the gate beautiful and brought there for many years to ask for alms. And remember the Lord gave them that gift of faith to say to him, silver and gold we don't have for you, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the Lord healed him and he leapt and he walked. And remember there was a, 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 a great gathering of the crowd and they preached Jesus to them. And uh, at the end of preaching Jesus, hands were laid upon them and they were arrested for preaching the gospel of the Lord. Despite that, many, many responded to the gospel and uh, they responded to the call to come to Christ because the gospel was preached prophetically and with power and it moved men to call upon Jesus, which is wonderful, which we're always praying for. And then from there, they got opportunity the next day to preach the gospel to those religious Jews that had crucified Christ. And instead of them humbling their hearts, they continued to walk in their pride. And they threatened uh, Peter and John. And they said, listen, you can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you judge what's right if we honor God and listen to him or we listen to you. And so they threatened them more and uh, they let him go because they were fearful of the people and what might happen to them. This morning here, what we see is upon being released, upon being let go, it says that they go to their companions, they go to the church. And from there, we see how they respond. And boy, this is a great thing for us this morning. How do we respond when the world resists the gospel, when the world threatens us, when, you know what, believers get arrested or have their rights trampled in the call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and practice our Christianity. We'll see this morning, they respond first and foremost, and you see this throughout Acts, you, we, you see them responding in prayer, on their knees crying out to God as if he was the only one who could help them. And the truth of the matter, that was the case for them, and that's the case for us, and we'll consider that this morning, and then we'll see upon Calling out to the Lord and worshiping the Lord, the Lord fills them afresh with the Holy Spirit again, just like it, that it happened days earlier at Pentecost. He fills them afresh with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about that once again, the need to be empowered from upon high. And then from there, they go forth speaking the Word of God with boldness. And then we'll, saw, we'll see the last section of this, of these verses that we're going to look at, the church responding in, in uh, you know, practically in their life and taking what the Lord had given them and using it to minister to one another and to advance the work of the Lord, which absolutely is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit when we are a people that cheerfully give unto the Lord and recognize all that I have belongs to God and it's really to be used to minister to others. So let's get into this this morning. I just want to take it a few verses at a time, and we'll make our way down. We've kind of set up where we've been and where we're going, and so let's go there. So verse 23 says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And we just talked about that. 
They said, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Don't be talking about this resurrection. If you do, there's going to be consequences. But notice here, verse 23, it says, being let go. And one thing we got to recognize is this is a fallen, antichrist world. First John says it's under the sway of the wicked one. And absolutely, the spirit of this age wants to lock down and lock up the people of God and the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's very evident today all around the world. I think it's evident in the midst of this pandemic that there are certain politicians that are taking extra measures to try to keep the church from coming together and so forth. It's very apparent. All you got to do is just look. And we know that there are many places around the world where it is considered illegal to be a Christian, where you can get jailed for that. And many do get jailed for that and go to reconditioning camps and people even are losing their lives for the cause of Christ today. So we see that in this fallen world that there is an attempt to lock down and lock up the people of God and the spreading of the gospel. What these folks don't get though, what they don't understand, that in Jesus Christ we're free and we are being freed and we're going to be made free. And you got to remember that. You got to remember that and everything going on that in Christ Jesus, I am free. No matter what happens, I have freedom in the Lord, that my sins have been washed, that I have been cleansed, that I'm no, under, no longer under the law that damns me, but I'm under the grace of God that has saved me, and I have freedom, and that freedom will never be taken from me. I have real freedom where it counts, and we're being freed in that Yes, in this world, there's going to be oppositions and oppressions and trials and tribulations. The Bible made that, makes that very, very clear. It says that we're going to be subjected to those. And absolutely, those feel like, in a way, are a type of practical bondage. But you got to remember that God uses those to grow us in the Lord. And the more you grow in the Lord, the more freedom you have as the Holy Spirit works in your life. So we are free. We are being freed. And we will be free And that is going to happen when the Lord returns for his church or we go to be with the Lord. Praise God, no longer will we have a sin nature. Praise God, we'll walk with him forever and ever and ever. And praise God, we will have freedom forever in the Lord Jesus, no longer being subjected to the curse that's on a fallen world. What we also got to know and what these people don't know and their attempt to lock down or lock up the people of God and the spreading of the gospel, that listen, God always wants to use what looks like a setback to push forward the gospel of Jesus Christ and grow his people. And that's what was going on here. Again, they had seized them to try to stop the work. They're let go now. And what's going to happen out of this is going to be for the glory of God It's going to build the church more. It's going to cause them to walk by faith more, to cry out to God more, and it's going to spread the gospel more. And that's always the case. And we got to know that even right now, as there are certain people in high places wanting to stymie and stove up the spreading of the gospel, what they mean for evil, God absolutely wants to use for good. And we think about Joseph when his brothers, you know what? sold him into slavery, and eventually he was in prison, and all the things that happened. Remember at the end of all that in Genesis, uh, chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers that, again, locked him down and shut him up temporarily. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this, as it is this day, notice, to save many people alive. 
And you got to remember that, saint, in your life, when the enemy comes against you to try to work evil against you, God is wanting to use it for good so that many would be saved and made alive. Again, we get this empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. We're here to be a witness. And so let's allow the Lord to even use the things of the day that are meant for evil against us for his glory. And see, that happens when we humbly yield to him. When we recognize that it's about him, it's not about us. And we'll see that unfold again as we go through this. They cry out to the Lord. Verse, or next thing we see again, being let go, they went to their own companions. And so their own companions, their own company was the true believers in Jesus Christ. It was this local body of believers that began to grow as the gospel was spread and more and more were putting their faith in the Lord. And they knew they needed to be tight-knit in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, listen, just earlier, not long earlier, the Lord had told them before he died and rose and ascended in Matthew 10, 16, he said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Sheep in the midst of wolves. There was great opposition. And these needed to be sheep that had one another's back. Sheep that bawled out to the Lord God together. Attempted corny humor there. And they needed to come together. We also know that Again, one of the great things that comes out of trials and persecutions and the day of peril is that it has a tendency to weed out the tares and the goats that really aren't sheep or wheat or real followers of the Lord, and it causes true believers really to pull together, it should. And again, even the things that we're facing right now in our country, the things that are unfolding and so forth, you know what, this should cause true believers all the more to pull together for the cause of Christ. I think about the day of Nehemiah when Nehemiah heard that the wall was down around the city there of Jerusalem, and it says they were under great distress. And you can read this on your own, but in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah is led by the Lord to go and head up a rebuilding of the wall. And in the midst of the distress and in the midst of all the fear and the threats, you know, the Lord leads him to call the people to come together to build the wall around Jerusalem. And I love it in Nehemiah chapter 2, there at the end of verse 18, it says, so they said, let us rise up and build, and they set their hands to do this good work. And it's beautiful because you see next, group by group, by one another, all the way around that wall, rebuilding it, putting their hand to work, being mocked the whole while, in a matter of no time, it's just a matter of days, a wall that had been in rubble for, you know, 70 plus years was rebuilt, and God blessed that as they came together in the Lord, Him being the foundation and walking in the call of God upon their lives. And we need to take heed from that. That needs to be us. Listen, all the more we need to come together in the name of the Lord as we see the day of the Lord approach. We're told to do that in the book of Hebrews. And then as they go to their companions, they report to them all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And we should ask the question, why did they do that? Listen, they didn't do that just to have something to talk about. It wasn't just a talking point. It wasn't, you know, reported so they could stand around and gossip and slander the chief priests and the elders. 
It wasn't done so they could play the victim, you know, and wallow in self-pity. It wasn't done to pridefully boast that they had suffered for the Lord and they were above everybody else now. It wasn't reported to invoke the fear of man. Oh, can you believe what they're doing? Let's all hunker down and move to South Dakota so we'll be okay. It, it, it wasn't that. Listen, it was reported that they would walk in the fear of God and they would cry out to God. The big bully had come along and said, speak no more in the name of Jesus or we're going to get you. They threatened them and so forth. And so it was reported to these others, as we'll see next year in a minute, for them to cry out to God, and we'll see that absolutely that's what they did. Now, again, we could take this right to where we are today. We've already touched on it. We've already laid, you know what, some groundwork for this. There's a lot of people today saying the same thing. You better not say the name of Jesus. I've had so many people over the years as a pastor tell me, but well, you can't say that. You can't be talking that way. You can't be mentioning the name of Jesus. So many times when, you know, I've been asked to come pray for something or some council meeting or something, you know, time and time again, there's always someone there, hey, you can't mention the name of Jesus telling me that. And you know what? Have you ever wondered if these people that say they don't believe in Jesus or they think him still dead in the grave or some foolishly even will say he never existed, why do they get so upset if they think that? You know, I don't get all upset, been out of shape if, you know, folks start talking about the Bigfoot. Maybe the Bigfoot's there. I, I've never seen him. Some, you know what, a few say that he is. I don't know. I'm not going to get upset about it, though. I personally, you know what, never seen one, so I kind of need to see that and so forth. I've seen the resurrected Lord at work in my life. I see the resurrected Lord, you know, in the scriptures through prophecy and eyewitness testimony and so forth. But why do these folks get so upset if they don't believe in Jesus, that he's still dead, that he never existed? I'll tell you why. Because of the conviction of the Spirit and because Philippians declares that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And every time they get riled up and even these, you know what, leaders getting riled up, it's just evidence that Jesus is Lord and he's the risen God. And you need to remember that. When people are getting riled up, instead of you getting upset, listen, all the more praise God. And you know, that's the conviction of the Spirit and evidence that my God is risen from the grave. Verse 24 says, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. So as soon as they heard it, what did they do? They prayed. They worshiped. They raised their voice to God. Jesus had modeled this for them. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him time and time again going off in prayer. We see him gathering the disciples and them praying. We know God's word teaches this. We're told to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 517. So the first thing they do is what they had been instructed to do and what Jesus had modeled for them to do. They pray. Awesomely with this as well, listen, they had already been praying. They had already been praying daily. Remember, they continued daily in the apostles' doctrine and prayer, the breaking of bread and fellowship. They had already prayed as the Lord instructed them to do on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. What were they doing? They were gathered together in prayer. So this was already in place, and this is so key for our life. Don't wait for a crisis to start praying. It's like going out and trying to start up a rusty old lawnmower. This should already be in place. 
where we're a people of prayer on a regular basis. You don't want the crisis to be the thing that gets you out to the prayer meeting. There's already a crisis in the world. There's been one there since the fall of man. There are people that need Jesus, and we want to have prayer in place in our life already. So when the day of trouble does come all the more, this is what we already do. I pray in my prayer closet. We pray as a family. We pray as a church. We're doing what we already do. We're just, you know what, doing it, no doubt, with a little more fervency. And the thing with this as well is, listen, literally, they had nowhere else to turn. Who were they going to turn to? Again, the church had just been birthed. Were they going to go and petition those that are in, you know what, political leadership? They're the ones that crucified Christ. They had nowhere else to turn. But listen, this morning, that's actually the very best place to be. And oftentimes, we think, well, we can turn here, we can turn there. And it's not to say that there aren't times when, you know what, God will raise up an advocate or use, you know what, an individual or a group as an instrument to help bring about what he wants to bring about. But first and foremost, we need to cry out to God and we need to recognize if God's hand's not going before us, we have nothing. We need to cry out to him. It's the best place to be. And I would hope and pray more and more we get that mindset that we need to cry out to God. Notice as well, they all prayed with one accord. And they prayed in one accord, no doubt, in Jesus' name because the accord that they were in was God's will and God's word. They were unified in the Lord, and it's powerful when that happens. We'd already seen that in Acts 2. They were in one accord. The Holy Spirit was poured out. They went forth in boldness, and that's happening again here in Acts 4. What an encouragement for us to come together more often than we have in one accord to pray and cry out to God. And then notice how their prayer starts. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. They don't start with, God, they're going to kill us. They don't start with that, leaning on their own understanding. We have it all figured out. They've threatened us. Now, the next thing they're going to do, we're all going to get arrested and some are going to lose their lives. They didn't start with a complaint. Jesus, we know you rose from the dead and we've become followers and you brought us out here to die. Remember the day of Moses, they're delivered out of Egypt. Then throughout that whole time in the wilderness, we've been brought out here to die. They don't do that. They don't even start with their supplication. They don't even start with, Lord, we need your help. Notice what they start with. They start with worship. They start ascribing worth to God and quoting scripture. They quote Nehemiah 9, 6 in this text. And they say, you're God. You made it all. You made heaven. You made earth. You made the sea. You made everything that's in them. That's praise to God. That's glory to God. And know this, listen, giving praise and glory to God is more important than our earthly plight. It's more important than what's going on in our life. Because what should be going on in our life more than anything else is us being worshipers and people that give glory to God. That is our chief call. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So why were we created? For his glory, to give him glory, to give him honor, to give him praise. This is something we got to practice. Listen, no matter what's going on, no matter how big the trial is, I can encourage you enough to always try to start your prayers with praise, with giving honor to God. 
Because see, that's not only what we're not, what is, is not only what we're called to do, but it does something in us. When we get, begin to praise, our eyes start getting focused right. And instead of seeing our enemy or the trial as so big, we begin to see it as very small as we begin to see God as he is so big. Listen, the bully had come along and flexed their muscles, and they had a lot more earthly resources and power and so forth, way more than this early church had. And if they had just focused in on that, they would look bigger and bigger and bigger. But instead, they fall on their face, and Isaiah 9, 6 comes to their heart, and they cry out, you're the God that made heaven, earth, sea, and all that's in them. All of a sudden, they see God as he is big. You made heaven, earth, sea, and all that's in them, including these men made of dust that are coming against us. All of a sudden, their perspective's right. Our God made them that are coming against us. I think God can handle this. We recognize and remember that he is almighty God and there's nothing too big for him. And listen, as well, when we bring biblical praise to him as they're doing, quoting scripture, it builds our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. What do they sing and praise and crying out to him? The word of God. And as they did that again, it built their faith. Now notice verse 25. They quote Psalm 2 now. Whom by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. And this Psalm is true for wicked leaders in every generation. And praise God, there's always a remnant for the most part, that don't fall into this category. But this generally is the way that it is. When man sinned, he came under a curse. Jesus himself said, don't be like the Gentiles who lord over other individuals, but instead be a servant. That's the Lord's commentary on political leadership in the world. And the scriptures say the same thing. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Nations rage. And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. Notice here, against the Lord and against his anointed, or against the Christ, anointed Christ, same thing, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And you got to remember that. I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories in the world today, and I think a lot of them are built on a lot of facts about people in high places that, you know what, want to kill people, population control, usher in a one-world government, and you know what, economy and, and religion. That's talked about in the book of Revelation. But here's the thing, in a lot of those conspiracies, there's always a segment of people that says, oh, that's not true. You even see it in the church. Oh, that's not true. You conspiracy theorists, boo-hoo, you dummies over here. All these people are out looking for us, and they have good intentions. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take, take counsel together against the Lord and against Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures say. That's what the word of God says. And if you're one of these Christians that always wants to boo-hoo someone when they're saying, hey, do you know Bill Gates wants to 
you know, he's for population control. And he said out of his mouth, he wants to reduce the population of the earth. He's heavily involved in Planned Parenthood that kills people, that practices eugenics, trying to kill minorities. And his father ran Planned Parenthood for many years, founded by Margaret Sanger, who is a straight-up racist. Oh, come on now. Where are you going with this? Well, that's all fact. And then on top of that, the scripture says these people rage against God. It's scriptural. It's in the word of God. And I think that makes some people incredibly uncomfortable. You know why? Because they want comfort in this world and this life. And they comfort themselves with this false security that they're all there looking out for our good. And it's just not the case. It's not found in the word. Now, listen with that. God did put governments in place so there could be some semblance of order and culture. And absolutely, we should pray for these kings in high places. We should pray for our president. We should pray for our governor. They both need a lot of it. We should pray for our local civil authorities and so forth. We absolutely should do that. And it's not us having a heart against them, but it's us recognizing most of them, a good majority of them, have a heart against him. And that's found in God's word. But notice here it says in verse 4 of Psalm 2, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And you need to remember that. As certain individuals are flexing their muscles, wanting to put their foot on the neck of the church and really of humanity, God laughs. God shall hold them in derision. In other words, God mocks them. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And then he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. In other words, Jesus Christ is on the holy hill. Jesus Christ is on the throne. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And absolutely every soul will give an account before God Almighty. Verse 27, they say, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles of the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. So they raged against the Christ, but the truth comes out here, as they plotted, they were really puppets used by God in their rebellion to bring forth his will to fulfill prophecy. And what was the prophecy? That Jesus would lay down his life for us. Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, 17, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and to crucify, and on the third day he will rise again. They thought they were going to destroy the Christ. They didn't understand that the Lord was even going to use the rebellion to bring glory to God. They were plotting, but they were really puppets. And again... The same thing is true today, and you've got to remember that. Because if you don't, the liars of our age and the men and women in high places that deliberately oppress the spreading of the gospel and humanity, they seem so big in reality, they are very, very small. 
They absolutely are. And you got to know that even the things going on in the world today, God is allowing these things to unfold in a world that's fallen because man said, I'll be my own God back in the garden. And God said, the day you do that, you're going to die. The day you do that, death's going to set in. The day you do that, there is going to be spiritual death. He sent his son to make the way of salvation. And now he's winding things down. And he's allowing these things to happen. I know, doubt for, I know without a doubt for many reasons. Number one, listen, to wake up the church. To wake the church up. And are we going to wake up? Are we going to wake up to the fact that we are in the midst of the birth pains that Jesus described in Matthew 24 that precede the coming of Jesus Christ? Are we going to wake up to that? Is our heart more burning to serve the Lord or to go out and march for our rights? And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have those rights. We should because our nation is founded on those rights and we're a government by the people and for the people. It doesn't seem that way right now. And so even biblically, as you read Romans 13, it's our constitution that governs governs our land. And we got to have a right balance in this. But we need to be more awakened to the fact that we need to be about the business of God spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you could be doing that right now today. We're called to worship the Lord, and we can be doing that right now today. We're doing that right now just in a different way together. We need to wake up, and we need to stay awoke we don't want to be like those virgins that all fell asleep in fact they all fell asleep we don't want to be in that place when the midnight cry came only five had oil for their lamp oh lord awaken us he also is allowing this no doubt to awaken the lost and the backslidden and i see that happening a lot with the talk of you know the vaccination maybe having digital tracking in it and a digital ID, the guy I mentioned earlier saying, you know what, we're coming up with a way to attach something to your DNA through a vaccination so we know everything about you, where you're at, who's been vaccinated, who hasn't. Does that sound like fun to anybody? Whether you're for them or not, against, or you're against them. Whether you're for them or, if you're for them, if you're for a digital ID so they can follow me all around and track me. With that, a lot of people are saying, that sounds like the mark of the beast. That sounds like 666 stuff happening. A lot of non-believers know a lot about, you know what, those things in the scripture. I think they learned it through like Ozzy Osbourne and stuff in the 80s. You know, they didn't recognize it. 666 that, you know, people are like, what is that? That's called the, the mark of the devil. And, oh, what is, you know, getting educated through ignorance over here. Spouting nonsense. And a lot of people right now are waking up. A lot of people, listen, even on our, through our social media, a lot of people are saying, listen, who we haven't seen in the church in a long time, they're saying, I'm watching every week, and as soon as the doors open, I'm going to be there from now on. I'm getting back with my walk with the Lord. And others coming to the Lord. Listen, part of the thing that brought me back to God as a young man was the first goal four. I knew about biblical prophecy. And when I started seeing all that unfold, it was one of those things, along with the other stuff, that God used to nudge me back to getting on my knees to crying out to God Almighty. Listen, no doubt God's using this as well to bring the end of this dispensation. 
Again, the world is on track for a one-world government, economy, and religion, as the Bible describes in Revelation. And we know it will end with the world coming together to come against God at the Valley of Armageddon. Them setting themselves up for what? To be knocked down. And in the course of that, we see that there are many that repent. And unfortunately, we see that there are many more that don't repent. But God's winding this all down to come back at his literal second coming and set up a reign for a thousand years. And listen, it's going to happen at some point, and we're moving in that process towards it rapidly. Now, notice verse 29. They say, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through your holy, through, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love this. They don't say, Lord, look on their threats and crush them and move them out of the way so we can be really, really comfortable. Lord, we want to live without any threats, without any risk. We want our safe space over here. Bubble wrap us while you're at it, Jesus. They don't say that. They don't say, look at their threats, God, and give us more money with them and give us more political favor and give us more stuff so we can physically outpower them. They don't say that either. They say, look on their threats, Lord, and return in boldness to speak your word with power. Lord, we're turning to you, and we're asking for another outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. They recognize we can't fight flesh with flesh. We're going to lose if we do that. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We want their hearts won over to Jesus. Stretch out your hand, they say. Lord, let the sick be healed. Let signs and wonders be done through, their, through your name. They knew, again, we need strength from upon high. We need heavenly means and intervention, not earthly means. We need a move of his hand, and we need that today. Listen, the true church, true believers, is getting smaller and smaller. I believe God wants to get it bigger and bigger. There's a remnant. There's a lot what's called Christianity that's not Christianity according to the scripture. And if we think for a second that we can fight against these things with earthly means, listen, this is like an ant taking on a bodybuilder or something. But praise God, listen, we can call it to God Almighty ask for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, ask for prophetic utterance to give, be given to us that we would speak God's word with power. And I believe absolutely we should be praying for healings and for a great move of God's hand. It seems like in everything going on, people have forgotten that God can heal. <laughs> How sad to be in a place where you're so stricken with and again, I know some people have medical issues and they're using wisdom and perhaps being led and using wisdom to say, you know what, more quarantine and so forth. And we support you in that if that's where you're at. But this idea of just walking with a continual fear and thinking God's hand can't be upon me, that God can't heal me, that God can't go before me. What, what, what if every missionary in the history of the world had that mentality? Would the gospel have ever went forth? <laughs> There's risk involved in serving the Lord, and guess what? Living this life as well. 
And this is why we need to cry out to God. God, you go before us. You have your hand on us. You protect us. You keep us. You heal us up when we get sick. Supernaturally work. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm here to tell you it's declared in the scriptures. And again, he says in all of it, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That the name of Jesus would be glorified in all of this. Now, notice verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, it doesn't say there was an earthquake. It just says the place was shaken. So I, I don't know exactly what that was. But it was enough for them to write down, this place just got shook. They prayed. God answered. The place shook. And they were filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in a lot of detail so far in our study in Acts. After Jesus arose in John 20, 21, and 22, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, when we believe, we get sealed with the Spirit. And then the Lord had told them, Again, in Acts 1.8, now go wait upon high for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist had talked about this. He says, listen, I baptize you with water. I'll just paraphrase it. But there's one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit of fire, Matthew 3.11, one of those places. And then Jesus had talked about this in John 7, 37 through 39. He talked about a baptism of the Holy Spirit, where out of our hearts will flow torrents of living water. And that had happened initially there at Pentecost. And yet now it's just days or maybe a week or so later, I don't know the exact timeline, but it's very close proximity to Pentecost. Not a lot of time's gone by. And they cry out and they're filled afresh again. This is scriptural. And we need to know that. Because this doctrine gets attacked. I've been attacked by this teaching, even recently. Been attacked online by it. Oh, that's not biblical. Listen, the Holy Spirit never leaves us when we get saved. But we can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We're leaky vessels. And absolutely every day the Lord wants to work afresh in our lives. We see it modeled here and laid out in Acts. They had been baptized and now they're baptized again, so to speak. They're filled afresh again. It's declared in the scripture. And what do they do from there? They go out and do what this is for. They proclaim God's word boldly. Remember, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we can be witnesses of Christ to the world around us. And I can't encourage you enough to more and more become a person that is daily asking for and a person that is dependent upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need to know. Listen, Ephesians 4.25 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. You go read that in Ephesians and all around it, don't do this and don't do that and don't walk in sin. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. And when we know we have, let's ask the Lord to forgive us and then do what Jesus instructed us to do in Luke 13, or eleven thirteen. He says, if you being evil know to how, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Now I want to show you guys, I've used this illustration before over the years, but I want to use it again. Probably should have used it earlier in one of our studies in Acts, but just this picture, you know, sometimes I've seen this illustration help people, and uh, over here, and, and hopefully I'm still in the camera over here, you know what, we see this empty cup, it's empty, can, can someone come up? There, there's a couple people here helping with the broadcast this morning, but it's an empty cup. This is us before we came to Christ. God did not indwell in us before we came to Christ. I know that goes against the New Age teaching and sadly a lot of false teaching in the church today. He did not dwell in us. We were empty. Enemies of the cross. Now the Holy Spirit convicted us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convicts all the world. And then upon putting faith in Jesus, upon recognizing I'm a sinner, Christ rose from the dead. Christ died for my sins. Jesus be my Lord. I'm turning from my sin to put my trust in you. The Bible says we get sealed with the Holy Spirit. And this water is a picture of the Spirit of God. This empty vessel is up to the top. We are sealed now. We are, we are filled with the Spirit in the sense that He comes to reside in us. And true believers in Christ, listen, the Holy Spirit will never leave us. But then we read about this baptism and this empowerment. Jesus described it as torrents of living water. And this is where the Spirit of God is working through us. And we saw in Pentecost what happened. The Spirit of God was poured out, and then what? There was an overflow that happened. They spoke with other tongues to those gathered from the other nations, and they heard the things of God being glorified in their own tongue on that day in particular. And then we see here in Acts 4, there's these threats. They cry out to God, and what happens? They're filled afresh again with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? They begin and they go forth speaking the things of God and power, that fresh filling of the Spirit. That overflow versus just filled to the top instead of an overflow. And that's what God wants to do in our lives every single day. And so we need to ask daily. Now notice from here, we're getting closer to being done in verse 32. It says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So listen, those who believed, those who were true saints, they were unified in one heart, and it was the heart of the Lord Jesus. It was in the heart of the scriptures. The scriptures was what, again, was the truth that brought them together and the work of Jesus Christ. And that has to be the case for there to be really one heart. We need to be unified with God first, yielded to his word, his word's the standard. And if we all are in that place, we can be unified in him. That's true unity. And when that's not there, then you get disunity. It's not found. Unity's found when we're yielded to the Lord first and his scriptures. And then no one said amongst them, this stuff's mine, but they recognize all that I have is his. And so in that, they took what was his and they used it to minister to those around them. And notice it says, neither did anyone say the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So it was a thing that, listen, they all gave. It wasn't a few givers and a bunch of takers, it's a dangerous thing if you read this passage and you go, oh boy, good, I know people with a lot of stuff and I can get it from them if I come in and say I'm a Christian. 
That's not what this was. This was everybody in one heart saying, what I have belongs to God. Let me use it to minister to others. And maybe for some, it was more wealth. For others, it was a stronger back. For some, it was more time and availability. But they all took what they had and they said, let's use it to minister to one another. And when everybody's doing that, wanting to be a giver versus being a taker, and it's not to say that there's not a time to receive help. Absolutely there is. But it's that mentality of I'm just here to take versus I'm here just to give. And I know in that, my needs will be met. And maybe that's going to be through a brother or a sister blessing me. But my intent is to come and to give. And they shared again what they had with others. They met other needs. And we need to be in the same place. I got to tell you, listen, I'm not not an economic uh, uh, scholar by any means. I do know a little bit about economy and that I've lived in this world for 50 years and I've watched the economy go up and down through them and when they're talking like 25% unemployment, possibly, you're talking Great Depression stuff. And the chickens could come home to roost really quick in all this where there are people with so many urgent needs. Are we ready to step up as a church and minister to one another, to help meet the needs of one another, to absolutely go out and minister to people in need? practically so that we can share with them Jesus Christ to get their greater need met, the salvation of their souls. Verse 33, it says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Again, great power and impacted hearts. And we need that today. And I hope we're desiring that today. I hope that we're not bit by the bug of this age that's just about comfort, entertainment, and false security. Again, I hope we're not in the place of just saying, bubble wrap me, Jesus, and keep me safe in this life. It's a dangerous place to be. And again, sadly, I talk to a lot of people. I don't want to judge their heart, but that's where they're at. Bubble wrap me, Jesus, keep me safe and secure. Where Paul said, I don't hold count my life dear to myself. Jesus laid down his life. We need that. We need an empowerment. We need to be vessels that are willing to be used, willing to take some risk, willing to step out of faith, willing to lay down our life knowing that we'll gain it. We got to come free from the influences of this world that teaches a false security. In fact, that's one of the marks at the end of the age that ushers in the tribulation. It says when they finally say, Peace and safety. Oh, we're safe now. We have been bubble wrapped. It says sudden destruction will hit them. As those seals described in Revelation really begin to get broken. People saying, we're in the great tribulation. You haven't read your Bibles if you're thinking that. There is real pandemics in the tribulation. Not to try to make light of where we are today. You know what? I'm emailing right now. Calm down, calm down. (laughs) And great grace was upon them all. This is saving grace and great grace and the great grace is divine favor and divine influence from God. Boy, I want more grace in my life. I want grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I hope you want that too. 
Well, how do we get that? 1 Peter 5, 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Oh, Lord, give us a humble heart. We all have a prideful nature. It gets manifest in all kinds of ways. Oh, Lord, help us to die to self and have a true cloak of humility. Can we say amen to that right now? You can type it in right now if you want. Verse 34. We're headed here towards the end. Verse 34. Nor was there any among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each any, uh, each as anyone had need. So God moved on them to sell lands and houses, to bring in money, finances, capital to fund the work of the Lord. Do you know Jesus' ministry received finances? There was a monetary side of Jesus' ministry. I know some people, oh, you know, money, oh, it's, listen, money's fine. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Ministry is costly. It costs money. Again, there were certain women that gave to Jesus out of their substance. Luke 8, 3. Jesus had a treasurer. His name was Judas. Probably not the best guy to have in that place. But I find comfort in that because there's all kinds of times when you're like, how did that person end up doing that? And you're like, well, you know, Judas is around Jesus' ministry. So, you know what? God's in control. So this was to raise capital. Again, the church had been birthed and it costs money. Soon they'll be distributing food to, help, to, to you know, widows and so forth. Listen, it costs money for that. Capital needed to be there. Early on, the Lord moved on hearts to sell their, hand, their lands, to sell their homes, to bring it. The apostles used it to distribute those finances to help people in need, and no doubt to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, does this mean I need to go sell my house down all my lands and give the money to the church? What it means is that you should use all that you have, including your house and your lands, for the glory of God. That's what they were doing, using it for the glory of God. And in that case, in that day, God said, there's finances that are needed. And he moved on their hearts, and they responded. We should take all that we have and recognize it's God's, not mine. Lord, how can I use this for your glory? Am I using it for your glory? And if in that he leads you to sell something, a house, a land, or whatever, and give it to someone in need or to the church for the work of the gospel, we should obey that. But two notes with that. Number one, do it cheerfully or don't do it at all. And secondly, always remember, you can never outgive God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, where is it saying God's word you can't outgive him? Right there, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and then verse 7 says, so let each one gives as he gives, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly uh, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, someone that gives joyfully. And then finally here, and this sets us up for next week, the Lord willing, it says, and Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, 
having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And I'm not going to comment on that this morning because it sets up what comes next. The account of Ananias and Sapphira, the account of the fact that we should walk with the fear of God and our life. We're going to get into that, the Lord willing, next week. But praise God for what we looked at this week. Let's remember that he is God who's made heaven, earth, the sea, and all that's in them. He's in control. He's big. He's above all of this. Let's be found a people crying out to him, a people daily asking for a filling of the Spirit of God, a people wanting to be boldly sharing the good news of Jesus and recognizing all that I have belongs to God. Let me use it, God, for your glory. So let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your great goodness to us, God. And oh, Lord, we do want to be a people that respond accordingly to the passage we've looked at today. Oh, Lord God, I pray that, Lord, folks have been encouraged in you. Oh, Lord, I hope and pray that faith has been built up. I hope and pray, God, we've been reminded, God, of who you are and what you want to do and the fact that you're in control. Shine your face upon your people right now, Lord. Lord God, we know that you're long-suffering and you're coming, not wanting any to perish. And this morning, if you're hearing this message and you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. We do not know what tomorrow holds, but what I know right now is the Lord has risen from the grave and he's calling all unto himself and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on his name? If you haven't, you're saying, Steve, I want to. I want to encourage you to pray with me this, pray with me this morning. I want to lead you in a simple prayer just inviting Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And it's not the prayer that saves you, it's the prayer of faith that saves you. It's truly crying out to him that does out of a heart of faith. So just pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be forgiven and washed and made right with you. Jesus, I believe you died for me. You died for my sins and you rose from the grave. And this morning, Lord, I'm asking you to save me, to forgive me, to wash me, to be my Lord and be my Savior. Please go before me, Lord, all of my days and help me where I'm at, even right now. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, just bless any that have prayed that prayer. and Let us finish well right now, lifting our voices to you. Let's worship the Lord.
Listen, God bless you. Just so blessed that you have uh, spent time with us this morning in the Word. Reminder from 11 to 12, we're going to have drive through prayer in the parking lot, and we have a Mother's Day gift for all the moms. Um, I believe it's a muffin and a flavor of coffee, so uh, hopefully that doesn't spoil your lunch. <laughs> we want you to come out and be blessed, and uh, again, just pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.